In verse 16, we read, And Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, from Baharim, hurried to come down with the men of Judah to meet King David. Let me keep reading just a little bit, because the last time we met Shimei, he was cursing David and throwing rocks at him. So let's see what happens. Uh, And with him were a thousand men from Benjamin. Still sounds a little scary. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, with his 15 sons and his 20 servants, rushed down to the Jordan before the king. And they crossed the ford to bring over the king's household and to do his pleasure. Oh, okay, maybe not as bad as we might have thought, seeing a thousand people come over the hill towards you. Uh, well, let's, let's start with Ziba first. Um, talk about a couple characters that we see in these, in these passages. Um, Ziba's story will come a little bit later. Um, and he'll resurface. He was a servant of Saul. Uh, David put him in charge of serving Saul's grandson, Mephibosheth. I say that three times real fast. Um, who was lame and was Jonathan's son. Jonathan was uh, David's best friend. And uh, so even though he was a member of Saul's household, David wanted to take care of Mephibosheth. And, um, and again, he put Ziba and, and his sons and family in charge of serving Mephibosheth um, while he really embraced Mephibosheth um, as part of his family and allowed him to eat at the king's table. However, back in chapter 16, Ziba had shown up with some supplies and provisions for David as he was fleeing Jerusalem. And what he said was that Mephibosheth had turned against him. That Mephibosheth, I'm going to have to just say M, right? Um, That Mephibosheth was hanging out back in Jerusalem, kind of waiting to come back into power, hoping that he would get a piece of of that new government. So what David did was awarded all of Mephibosheth's inheritance and his estate to Ziba. Again, we'll revisit this later um, because it shows up again in this chapter. But Shimei, um, as I said before, the last time we encountered Shimei, uh, same chapter, chapter 16, he was cursing David as he was leaving Jerusalem. Shimei was a a part of Saul's um, extended family. He was part of the tribe of Benjamin. He wasn't very pleased about what what had transpired um, when Saul came out of power and died and David came into power. There was a lot of tension there. Um, But as as Shimei was cursing David and throwing rocks and things like that, he was also accusing David of of, uh, being responsible for the blood of of Saul and his family. It wasn't true, um, but this was the last encounter that we had with Shimei. And so here he comes with a, with a thousand men um, rushing to apparently serve the king. Interesting. Well, let's see what he actually says. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was about to cross the Jordan and said to the king, let not my lord hold me guilty or remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. Do not let the king take it to heart. For your servant knows that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I have come this day, the first of all the house of Joseph, to come down to meet my lord, the king. Wow. 
it sounds like an actual repentance. He acknowledges his sin. He essentially asks for forgiveness, right? Let's, let's move past that. That was a bad day for me, <laughs> right? Um, and and he, he asks for forgiveness, for mercy from David. Not everybody is, is interested in granting that, however, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? Technically, probably, yeah. But David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should this day be as an adversary to me? Shall anyone be put to death in Israel this day? For do I not know that I am this day king over over Israel? And the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king gave him his oath. So you have this really beautiful picture of forgiveness right here, with David pardoning his former enemy. Now Abishai originally asked David to let him behead Shimei uh, in, in the first part when he was throwing rocks. Uh, David denied him that. Now he's asking for a second chance. Um, if Abishai were preaching a sermon, it probably would have been entitled Give Pieces a Chance, like Head and Body. Right? But that's not David's plan. David's seen enough bloodshed. This was a day to give peace a chance rather than more fighting. And I wonder if you're like me, if you've ever been guilty of not really forgiving. Sometimes I think I choose to kind of remain in a fight, you know, keep that going a little bit, just because I want to be right. Like, I really want the other person to know how wrong they were. So, you know, but you said, or anything starting with but, or uh, is, a, is a good indication that we're trying to remain in the fight even when the other party is trying to apologize, right? We, we tend to want to, let me speak for me, I tend to want to punish people, right? Until I feel like it's uh, appropriate. But, but again, David has been wronged here, for sure. Uh, but he's willing to extend forgiveness. And it seems like he is valuing peace more than winning here, which is a really um, important principle, um, that we should acknowledge and apply. Well, the king, in fact, even gives his oath. Right, you're not going to die. Not, not like a dread pirate Roberts. Good night, sleep well. Most likely, kill you in the morning. Right, this is a you are not going to die by my hands. Forgiveness is done. It's complete. It is full, and you have my word. And that's another another reminder for us as we choose to forgive. It seems to be a pretty continual verb, right? That, that we don't always feel like it. And the next day, after we've forgiven someone, we may not feel like it. But we can't take that back. We can't take that back and use it as ammunition and come back at them and, and, and bring it up. We can't bring it up to others. We really can't bring it up to them. When we forgive someone, it's done. And that's a hard, hard thing uh, for many of us to do. I know for me, it's incredibly difficult. But that's what forgiveness looks like, because that's God's example. 
So we've got a former enemy that, uh, that comes to David. not working there. There it is. Okay, hold on. We're a little slow with the technology today. There we are. Okay. That's where we were. This is where we're going. Uh, In verse 24, and Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? So we've dealt with former enemies, with Shimei. And now we're dealing with kind of a different category of people. The question mark category. Frenemies, maybe. Like, used to be a friend, I invited you into my house, and now what I've heard is that you turned against me. Are, are you my enemy or not? There's something to be clarified. Now, a couple, couple notes, and uh, unfortunately in the text, I'm not sure that we ever get a great answer for who was right, Zeba or Mephibosheth, which story was true. There are a couple things that lead us maybe in favor of Mephibosheth being the one who was telling uh, some of the truth. He seemed to be in a state of mourning, essentially, from the time that David left until now. Right? Didn't wash his clothes, didn't trim his beard, didn't take care of his feet. Um, so he probably didn't smell great. But, um, but that's, a, that's a clue maybe to, to what his uh, mindset was from when David left. What I want us to notice, especially though, is that as guilty as David might have been about jumping to some conclusions, um, he does one of the most helpful things in resolving a conflict. He asks a question. Why? Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He doesn't come out of the gate accusing Mephibosheth of turning against him and being a traitor. He asks why? Now, we don't necessarily know the tone of voice that he used or the expression that he had on his face or his body posture, but, but asking questions in the midst of conflict is one of the most useful skills that we can ever acquire. Because there's a lot going on. People are complicated. Every time you've been in a conflict, I'm guessing you had reasons for why you said the things you did and did the things you did. They might have been right, they might have been wrong, but you had reasons. And so asking that question allows sometimes the the conflict to dissipate as things become a little bit more clarified and we start to understand others and maybe the real root of the problem. It's, It's an ability to give peace a bit of a chance. And Mephibosheth's answer was this. My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to him, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king. For your servant is lame. He has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king. 
Again, from the words, it doesn't sound like a guy who turned traitor to the king. David's believed others in this passage. Uh, Will he believe Mephibosheth's story? And the king said to him in verse 29, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided. You and Ziba shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. Again, not the verbiage of someone who had turned against the, the king. We have a classic he said, he said situation, um, which we call now recess. Uh, but it's, it's likely that David realizes he might have acted a little bit rashly in giving all of Mephibosheth's stuff to Ziba, not having heard both sides of the story. Again, it's a good idea to hear both sides of the story. Proverbs eighteen seventeen says, um, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him, right? We, we need to understand as much information, if possible, right? Of course, David wasn't going to hop back into Jerusalem and try and clarify the situation. He had to make a decision. Uh, was it the right one? But now he, now he makes a, a different one. Um, to split it, um, whether that's him just saying, well, I, both of you have, have been useful to me, right? Ziba helped him. Um, he wanted to show kindness to Mephibosheth. Um, so there are valuable relationships in his life. And so at this point, for whatever reason, he just says, okay, you guys can split it. And, uh, and I think that idea of compromise sometimes can also give peace a chance. What What we typically hope for, again, maybe I'll just speak for me, what I typically hope for is a specific outcome of a conflict. And if it doesn't happen the way that I want it to, it kind of feels wrong. I don't like to compromise. Um, And yet, as long as we're not compromising God's word, as long as we're not compromising Um, the values that God would have for us, as long as we're not compromising the glory of God and the way that we go about it and the outcome, the outcome can be different than we want or desire. And sometimes compromise is uh, a way to give peace a chance. Uh, We move on to a a third character or a third uh, type of person that we might encounter um, and this is, this is an ally. This is a true friend. In verse 31, Now Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Rogalim, and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanaim, for he was a very wealthy man. And the king said to Barzillai, Come over with me, and I will provide for you with me in Jerusalem. So even though this isn't necessarily a conflict, right? Barzillai helped David. He's a friend. He came to see him across the Jordan and to see him return to his kingship. Um, it is, in fact, another opportunity for peace to continue and to be furthered um, with our allies and with our friends. So David desires to return this favor of provision for Barzillai since he had helped him and provided food for him. Barzillai didn't need anything. Right? He was a very wealthy man. He had everything that he needed. He didn't need to sit at the king's table. Um, 
But this was a demonstration of some of the honor and respect. If you were here last week, that was the theme of that passage, of honoring, honoring those, uh, honoring the honorable. It's pretty easy um, to give and to want to give to people who've given to you already or who might not ask anything in return. It does make that easier, um, but it's still important. It's still important to honor them. And uh, again, that's an opportunity to give peace a chance to continue and be furthered. Barzillai gives a very uh, humble thanks, but no thanks. Uh, He says, but Barzillai said to the king, how many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my lord, the king? A super gracious response um, as a rejection. He basically says, you know, I can't hear, I can't taste. Um, I know what I like. And what he's going to say is, I like home. I like home. (laughs) That's where I want to be. He says, your servant will go a little way over the Jordan with the king. Why should the king repay me with such a reward? Please let your servant return that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and my mother. But here is your servant, Kimham. Let him go over with my lord, the king, and do for him whatever seems good to you. And the king answered, Kimham shall go over with me, and I will do for him whatever seems good to you. And all that you desire of me, I will do for you. So David still gets to honor this family by, by honoring and, and providing for one of, we think, uh, one of Barzillai's sons. Uh, and he seems to still allow Barzillai to, um, to determine how he gets honored. Right? This was kind of the 11th century BC version of a gift card. Like, whatever you want, we'll, we'll do that for you. Um, and, I, and I just, I love that, that picture of uh, providing and honoring someone who had helped him in his time of need. In verse 39, Then all the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over, and the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own home. The king went on to Gilgal, and Kimham went on with him. All the people of Judah, and also half the people of Israel, brought the king on his way. So already, right, everyone lived happily ever after, except maybe not. Even in this passage, right after David has shown mercy and uh, peacemaking skills and has honored people who befriended him and has, has been a, a true example, I think, of, of God's um, grace, we start finding clues about the fact that all is still not entirely well in Israel. All the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel brought the king on his way. Well, it becomes a little bit more clear what is happening here in, uh, in this story as we read the last few verses of this passage. And verse 41, then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why have our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is our close relative. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we eaten at all at the king's expense or has he given us any gift? 
everybody seems to want a piece of the action. Everybody wants to be close to the king, to be a part of that process. And so now feelings are hurt and there's more conflict. And in, verse, in the last couple of verses we read, And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, We have ten shares in the king, and in David also we have more than you. Why then did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? All of which seems kind of true. But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. And that's where we leave off our passage today. Ah, It's kind of an unsettling and unsatisfying end to this passage. But it probably speaks more to real life, doesn't it? Um, The tribes are bickering. Israel was comprised of uh, essentially ten tribes. Um, The northern part of the kingdom was typically known as Israel. The southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, were in the southern part. And they were typically known as Judah. And so um, they start start grasping at everything. Israel's like, we got ten tribes and you only have two. And um, we were the first to speak up and you guys were hesitant. And then you kind of snuck in and got all the glory of bringing... David across, and only half of our people were there. And, and after an entire sermon, right, an, an example encouraging peace, this is what we end up with, is, is fierce words and fiercer words. As much of a peacemaker as David has been, at least in this passage, the kingdom is still fractured because of sin. And... And I think there are a few principles that I want to revisit uh, from this passage that we saw um, and and to talk about uh, giving peace a chance. Again, it is not a guarantee, it is giving peace a chance. One of the things that we need to do is to start the process, make the first move. Uh, We saw that a number of times in this passage where uh, David makes a move towards Judah first. They're hesitant. There's a lack of peace, so he moves forward. He takes the initiative. Shimei did. He had sinned against David. He made the first move towards David, and David reciprocated. If we are in conflict, we are always the responsible party. Always. Whether we did the injuring or whether we were injured, it's always our responsibility I didn't say it was our fault, so please hear me clearly, but it's always our responsibility to make the first move. Now, if someone beats you to it, awesome. Then the peacemaking process should be, should be that much more simple. But it's always our responsibility to start the process. One of the other things we saw in this passage is assuming the best. Now, most of the time we want to, we want to avoid making a lot of assumptions, Um, and that's where the the next one comes in, asking questions. But if we are to assume some things, let's assume the best about others. Let's assume the best about their motivations, because that's something that only they and God know. Um, Let's assume the best about people's character. Let's assume that they had reasons, be be they good or bad reasons, be they logical or illogical. But let's let's assume that they had some reasons. David assumed that Shimei had repented. It could have just been saying words. He assumed that Mephibosheth was probably telling the truth, or at least some truth. 
Um, he knew Zeba had helped him, so he assumed some things about about Zeba. Right? Not perfect, but he still uh, allowed him to be uh, somewhat rewarded. We've talked about asking questions before. In the midst of conflict, asking a question is the best strategy for trying to resolve it. It's the most non-threatening thing that we can do. Ask a question, depending on the way we do it, of course. But if we come with a, with a humble question, actually wanting to know the answer, not just thinking of how we're going to respond in our minds while the person explains, but if we give them time to explain what's happening, it helps us to understand what was behind it, that what the actions were, what the motives were. We also want to value peace over winning. We saw that in some of the compromises that were, that were offered here. Right? The win is peacemaking. Right? The win is God being glorified. So however that needs to happen, right, whatever the outcome actually is, the process, the process is the thing that typically glorifies God. And this is a mindset. Our, our culture, I would, I would say, does not necessarily value um, this the same way that, that Christians should. Right? Our culture is very much about winners and losers. One of the things that, that uh, sports and peacemaking doesn't have in common Right in sports, there's except for hockey for some unknown reason. There's usually a winner and a, and a loser, right? Someone has to, and and we have to deal with that, and that's okay. Like in sports, that's great. In life, we'd have to deal with losing some things, but in peacemaking, in peacemaking, the idea should be that God wins. God wins. He's glorified, and that we can benefit from restored relationships. And I think the last thing that I that I want to emphasize from this passage is accepting the vulnerability. Right? When you enter into a peacemaking process, you're making yourself vulnerable. Former enemies. Right? Uh, could be lying. Shimei. Shimei could have, could have been lying. He could have been giving lip service. And wanted to actually kill the king, right? David made himself vulnerable. Shimei made himself vulnerable. He could have been killed. That's what Abishai wanted to do to him. So there's this, there's this openness in the peacemaking process that is not typically natural. We want to protect ourselves. But in the peacemaking process, we have to open ourselves up to this vulnerability of being further hurt, potentially. Right? People can take advantage of your vulnerability. People can be manipulative. They can, yes. But the peacemaking process won't start unless, unless we are vulnerable. With, uh, with, with frenemies or, or people that are in question about where they are. Again, we might have been lied to. We might have been manipulated. Or carried hurt for no reason. Mephibosheth could have been lying. Ziba... Could have been lying. One of them was. It takes some vulnerability to open ourselves up 
to those possibilities. And even with friends, even with allies, when we, when we honor them, David essentially gave a blank check to Barzillai. Right? What if Barzillai asked for something grandiose? Like, can I be king? <laughs> but we, we open ourselves up for those possibilities of even our friends taking advantage of us. Romans 12.18 says this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Let me read that again. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And guess what? It does depend on you. It does. It, depend, it depends on us. It takes every party involved to make peace. So it will fail if we refuse. It just will. Like the shot. If I don't take it, it will never go in. If I don't give peace a chance, it will never work. Now, it might fail even then. Even if we give peace a chance, we might fail because we can only do as, as much as depends on us. We can't necessarily trust other people. Right? People are sinful and can and will hurt you. But when you give peace a chance, what you're doing is not necessarily trusting other people. You're trusting God. And so it's a step of faith. You're trusting in God, who is the ultimate peacemaker. He is for peace. I promise that. It's very clear in Scripture. So clear that he demonstrated it by sending his son, Jesus Christ. God made himself vulnerable. The God of the universe coming as a humble man to die for us. He took the initiative. And there are some who reject him. And there are some who take advantage of his grace. And there are some who are reconciled and get to serve as agents of peace. I want to read one more passage from 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. It says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the, word, the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. And I would leave us with this one last thought that the God is powerful and he can he, he can and does do what he wills. But I would say that the message of reconciliation that we're entrusted with that's the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ can either be amplified or hindered by our own peacemaking. And so let's let's not stand in the way of others believing in the gospel because of our actions. Let's give peace a chance.